Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at the Beatitudes. Now, we're going to look this morning at, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we're going to talk about uh, looking at sin and mourning over sin in our lives and in the world. Now, let me say this as we begin, all right? I am speaking, this, this is one of the perils of preaching always, right? Uh, you speak to people who have um, rhinoceros skin as their hides. They can deflect anything. And then you speak to people who are sensitive. And they can take it on board and they can be really burned by something that uh, somebody else maybe needs to apply. And I don't need this. This, uh, this is a Holy Spirit thing. L- let me say that as, as we look at the word today, you need to let the Holy Spirit actually apply it in your life. Don't go off on a bent, you know, looking at it yourself and saying, oh, yeah, <clears throat> that's me. You know, uh, it may be that there's some small thing between you and God. Just get it dealt with. But on the other hand, if there's something big between you and God, don't just shut down. You know, we, know we tend to do, oh, I don't want to hear this. And we, and we shut down so that we won't hear. Listen, God never goes after anything in your life but for your good. It's for your good. It's to help you. Uh, it's, it, it's not to hurt you. So that when, when we look at sin in our lives, we're not looking at our lives. <clears throat> and God is not judging us so that he can make life harder for us. What he's doing is he's pointing out things that need to change so they can make life better for us. So don't react to it from either perspective. You know, let the word of God speak. What would really help us when the preaching starts is if we would in our hearts, in our hearts, just between him, us and him, we would say, Lord, whatever you've got for me, would you help me to take it? And just let the spirit of God do the work and not you, because we mess it up when we do it. All right, so let's have a, a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Father, would you bless us this morning? Lord, we look to your word and Lord, we look to the things that you said in the, in the Beatitudes. And Lord, they are, they are deep. And Lord, they are unsettling and they were intended to be so. But Lord, we're your children, Lord. And Lord, we, we long for a closer walk with you. We long, Lord, to be more in your presence even than we are today. Lord, would you help us today? Blessed Spirit, would you take the word and would you apply it to each heart that's gathered here today, Lord? Uh, would you apply it just as the arrow that's needed to help uh, and sometimes to hurt in order to help? But Lord, would you, would you do that work, Lord? Let it not be somebody reacting and feeling bad, but Lord, may it be you working in hearts and lives. And Lord, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, <clears throat> blessed simply means to be approved of God, to have God smile. Now, so what, what we're... Looking at here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? So what our text is saying to us is basically this. It's saying, happy are the sad. All right? Okay? Now, that's a paradox. Uh, Somebody said a paradox is a truth standing on its head calling for attention. That is a truth standing on its head calling for attention. Now, the Beatitudes are linked together. But they're not just standalone. We, we, we deal with them standalone as we're going through them, but they're not just standalone. They're, they're, they're linked together. Last time we looked at verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the poor in spirit are those with a humility that is born out of the realization that we have nothing to offer God. We are beggars. We have nothing to offer God. We don't come to the table with anything to offer. We love him because he first loved us. We come with nothing, nothing of ourselves. Now, in our day and age, uh, that truth is wonderful, um, but oftentimes it slips into the side, well, we are nothing and therefore we need to be nothing. We can do what we like. That's not what what the Bible is saying to us. That's not what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. 
what, what the Lord Jesus was doing with, with the Sermon on the Mount is, and it's one of his very early sermons, and it's one, of, it's one of the most profound speeches, if you wanted to call it that, that was ever made. I, you know, if you go through what people consider to be profound speeches, this will always enter into it, because this, is just, this was just groundbreaking in the, in the truth that Jesus was bringing to bear. And what he's doing is, he's, he's in the context of an Israel that was too good to need God. He's unsettling their idea of goodness. What he's doing is he's shaking up the whole thing. You know, he's bringing it to a place where, where they can't just, you know, get by on cliches and so on. And they can't just get by with their religion. He's going to do it so effectively that they're going to crucify him. That's how effective he's going to be at it. But he's going to shake the whole thing up uh, completely. And um, he, he's going to put a whole new perspective on it. You know, he's going to give the people an idea of spirituality that's absolutely impossible. And understand that it is impossible. You can't do it. That doesn't mean that's not supposed to be done. What that means is, although you can't do it, his power in you will do it. And he will work it out in you if you let him work it out in you. But it's real and there's power there uh, to do it. Um, listening recently to uh, somebody talking about Lord Byron. They were talking about Lord Byron. <clears throat> and when, when he was about to die, his servant asked him uh, if he would like to see a priest uh, to ask mercy of God. And he said, no, I will not ask mercy of anyone. I am a man. That's in total opposition to the spirit that we're looking at here uh, in the Beatitudes. But that's the spirit of our age. I don't need God. I don't need anyone. I'm going to do my own thing and live my own way. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way to be happy. Now, the world will tell us it is, but that is not the way to be happy. That is not the way to be blessed. That is not the way to, the, to be comforted. Um, <clears throat> poor in spirit is understanding that we, <clears throat> we must have, but mourning is the emotion that seeing ourselves as we really are makes us feel. At least it should. But what happens for us is we stop short at knowledge. Right? Do you ever have somebody apologize to you with no emotion in their eyes? <laughs> Very irritating, isn't it? I mean, what they're doing is they're saying sorry, but they're not sorry. And when it comes to the idea, if we're going to see ourselves as poor in spirit, then there needs to be an emotion that goes along with it. And the emotion that goes along with it is this emotion of mourning. See, because here's the thing. Somebody can come to you and say, look, I know, I'm sorry. There's every likelihood they're going to do it again because they don't know what they've done. Not, not in the heart level. They don't understand what they've done. And when we come to God and we come to the place, you know, where, okay, all right, I understand I have nothing to offer. I understand it's all of you. But we don't let it in. What happens is we don't understand what it's done. And we don't mourn over it. What happens is, you know, <clears throat> we don't really stay clean for very long. We tend to go back. But when we understand what sin does, we're going to mourn. And that mourning is going to <clears throat> lead to comforting. And that mourning and comforting are going to lead to blessedness in our lives. All right? Now, but understand that there's a progression through, through it. There's a recognizing who and what I am. There's a mourning over it. There's a comfort. And there's a blessedness. What we want to do is we want to say, no, 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 I don't want to. Listen, when it comes to your testimony, <clears throat> what do you do with your testimony? 
Talk about how wonderful you were before you got saved. I know some people that do. I know some people that even can even glorify their sin and spend their sin so that it puts them in a good light. You don't do that. You, you, you recognize I was helpless, hopeless, like the song says. And then I came to him and he saved me. And we need to remember that. We don't get to the place, you know, where we've earned our stripes. We need to remember that we were helpless and hopeless and we came to him. So, and here's what happens. I talk about mourning and, I'm, you know, to be honest with you, I had some uh, deliberation going back and forth uh, this week about this mess because I know this is not a popular idea in our day and age. I mean, somebody, somebody brought up Joel Osteen this week. Many of you have heard of Joel Osteen, right? You've all heard of Joel. Some of you have heard of Joel Osteen. Well, that's good. I'm glad the rest of you haven't. And you don't need to hear about him, right? Joel Osteen is the most popular preacher in America at the moment. He has a congregation of 45,000 right, on a Sunday morning. Right? <clears throat> uh, that's a lot of people. Uh, but here's what he's doing. He's preaching a completely positive message. He's preaching what people in the 21st century want to hear. Uplifting, encouraging, and there's nothing in it that would challenge you or convict you at all. Right? And, I mean, everybody loves it. But the problem is, it's kind of lopping off a half of the truth. And the truth is, it's unsustainable because it takes the whole body of the truth to bring us to the place where we're actually blessed and happy. If we're going to enjoy this blessedness Jesus is talking about, and by the way, he knew he was God. If we're going to enjoy this blessedness, we have to recognize we're poor in spirit. We have to mourn over sin. It's not an end in itself. He's not suggesting that you go around weeping for the rest of your life over sin and that that's all you see. He's not suggesting that. What he's saying is, hey, recognize this. This is a problem. This is an issue. And the truth is, you're going to come back to it again and again in your life because you're not going to get it right all the time. You're going to come back. You know what I've noticed in people? I've noticed that people's change right, is actually in line with how deep they go in their repentance. I don't know how it works. Right? But, but when somebody really repents of something and takes on board what they've done, they will change. But when it's a superficial, I'm sorry, there often is no, no real change. It doesn't change. When, when somebody refuses to let the, the awfulness of their own picture of themselves hit them, they protect themselves, they, they, they end up not being able to actually deal with it and, and, and stuck with the thing. It, it, it stays for them. So, so here's what I would do. I would encourage you. Let the Word of God do its work. Isn't that what you came for? Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what all of us need? Let the Word of God do its work. Let the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, do his work in our lives and take and actually change us and make us what he wants us to be. <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> why should we mourn over sin? Uh, <clears throat> repentance is seeing God's sin, God's way, uh, <clears throat> a, a change of heart and mind. So the first thing we need to do is we need to mourn over sin because it offends and grieves the heart of God. You see, humanism says sin is against man. And by the way, uh, we were talking about this in Sunday school. If you'll notice the morality of our day, there is actually no morality in our day. We have become an amoral society. The only morals that we have are, you can't hurt somebody else. If it hurts somebody else, it's wrong. We'll put you in prison over it. But as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, you can do what you like. Up to and including a society that's accepting, listen, it's fair game for you to take your own life if you get to that place where 
you know, you, you don't like the way you're living and you don't like the, 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 the quality of your life, you can take your own life. So there really is no morality. Sin, the modern interpretation of sin is just this. Does it hurt somebody? Isn't that true? Isn't that, when we talk about sin, isn't that what people say to us? They'll say to us, well, I don't do anybody any wrong. Well, you know what? That may make them better, easier to live around. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is that sin is against God. If nobody else knows about it, never mind gets hurt by it, does it grieve God? Um, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> David said in Psalm 51, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had murdered her husband. He had deceived the whole nation. But he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned, God. His sin was against God. If we look back in the Bible, and we won't look at it, but in Genesis chapter 6, God repented and grieved. And you know what, what, he, what made him so sick of the world? The thoughts and the intents of man's heart were only evil continually. It was people's minds, what was going on in their thinking that he was looking at. It, it was not the actions the thoughts were producing, because thoughts always produce actions. The, what, what grieved God was what was on, in people's minds. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in Exodus 32, uh, the, the issue with the golden calf, nobody got hurt, but God was hurt. He was grieved deeply. You know, so what we've got to do, we've got we to get an understanding of, listen, sin primarily grieves God. That's the issue. If we're going to mourn over sin, we have to mourn over the person that's offended. I'll give you an illustration of that. We'll say leaving the car park this morning. I bang into your car. Right? And I put a big mark on the side. But I go and I apologize to somebody else entirely for having damaged your car. Doesn't do it, does it? In fact, it's infuriating. It wasn't his car. It was my car that you hit. Right? You see, what happens for us is when we don't deal with sin as though it's an offense against God... God's got a problem with it. So you're going to apologize to somebody else because you hurt them. Well, that's great. You may have hurt them and you may need to apologize to them. But the truth is that sin is primarily against God and we need to understand that he is grieved even though nobody else knows about it. And I think there's a lot of sin carried around amongst the household of believers that, you know, because nobody knows about it, I don't have to do anything about it. But God is grieved. God is grieved with it. Um, <clears throat> true believers have always hated sin. Now, understand that. True believers have always hated sin. Even Lot. Now, Lot, we would not call, you know, uh, a quality believer. We would not call him, you know, the, uh, the, the poster guy uh, for believers through the ages. I mean, he, he did everything wrong. You know, <clears throat> you know he, just, he just messed up royally, and then he messed up again, and he ends his life in a, in a drought. But you know what? The sin of Sodom vexed his righteous soul. He was not happy with it. You know what? On that basis, a lot of Christians today are not as good believers as Sodom was. Because we can let the wickedness of the world around us and it's fine. Doesn't bother us. Does, do, do, doesn't affect us. You know, we can actually enjoy the wickedness of the world for entertainment. That's a scary thought. Lot's righteous soul was vexed with it. There needs to be in our hearts this, 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 this I don't want it. This repulsion for sin. <clears throat> uh, we ought to mourn over the sin in our world today. You know, as we look at in our world today, what, what do we see? Do we see just people going around living their lives? Do we see attractive people? Do we see interesting people? Are we just drawn to them? Or do we really see a world that offends against God? Now, 
Don't get it wrong. If you get to the place where it's a world that offends against you, you've got the wrong end of the stick altogether, you're going to get prideful and you're going to get bent out of shape and you're going to just be obnoxious in the whole thing. It's a world that offends against God. And there's a huge price involved. God is grieved with it. But you know what? <clears throat> As we look at the immorality around us, do we, do we realize it grieves him? It's not just okay. When the Bible says that God is, God is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that all any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It does say suffering. God's suffering today. Do you know that? That's what it's telling us. God is suffering. You know, and he is suffering so that he doesn't bring it all to an end because he wants souls to get saved. That God hates sin <clears throat> that he's dealing with. Um, the music that grieves uh, the heart of God, the imagination and thoughts of their hearts. That, listen, sin offends and grieves God, and it ought to also offend and grieve us because it grieves God. You see, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But it's very easy for us to just walk in the world and kind of turn a deaf ear to the reality of who we are. And when we do that, we create a huge problem for ourselves. We're now double-minded. We're now, you know, <clears throat> walking between two ways. And you know what? You don't walk very long when your eyes are fixed on different things. You've got to fix your eyes somewhere. And you know what happens? You fix your eyes on the world. And once you do that, you get sucked into it. And you may know it's wrong, but you'll get sucked into it all the time. See, there's a difference between believers and the world. There's a huge difference. You know, where do you see that difference in your life? Where does that come? I mean, do, do, does the world really grieve you because it grieves God? You know, <clears throat> secondly, we ought, to, we ought to mourn over sin because of its consequences for the lost. Do you know that there's a price for lost people to pay for sin? <clears throat> do you know that nobody gets away with sin? It just doesn't happen. Think it through for a second, right? Um, <clears throat> lost people who don't repent of their sin and get right with God end up in hell. That's the worst thing that can happen to anybody ever. Do you know that touched the heart of Jesus? Jesus grieved over that? <laughs> that Jesus hurt over that? In John 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And if we were to go back there, what we'd find is, uh, we'd find this is the death of Lazarus. Jesus has waited three days, um, <clears throat> uh, although he was called, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. He is dead. He's, he's buried. He's actually been buried four days, the girl says. Uh, and so, you know, listen, it, it's a catastrophe. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus asked them to take him to the tomb. So they take him to the tomb. And the Bible says that he looks, up, looks around upon them. And they're weeping and they're, they're sorrowful. And Mary and Martha and everybody else is broken. And they're weeping over Lazarus. And there's something about the pain in people's faces in a funeral that's hard to bear, isn't there? I think it's awful the way they, they'll take pictures of it now uh, and put it up for everybody to see. There's something that's so personal, so private, and so deep in somebody's life at the pain of a funeral. And Jesus is looking on that. Now, and he bursts into tears. That's what it means when he says he wept. He bursts into tears. Now, think about it. Was he crying over Lazarus? No, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He told the disciples what he was going to do. They didn't get it. He had told them what he was going to do. He had told Martha what he was going to do. They, no, nobody's getting it. Nobody's, no, nobody's really understanding. He knows in a few minutes, Lazarus is going to walk out of the tomb. That's the whole purpose of him waiting. He's not weeping over Lazarus. You know what he's weeping over? 
the pain in these people around him. Jesus felt people's pain. He felt the emptiness and the suffering of a life removed from God. He could see it, and he could identify with it. And you know what? That caused him to do so many many times the Bible says this, the the Gospels say this, Jesus had compassion on them, and he. And he healed them, and he fed them, and he. Because he was moved with compassion. And, and he felt, you know what, if we can live in a world that's lost in sin and not feel sorry for a people that are on their way to hell, you know, there's no compassion in us and we'll do nothing for them. And that's a huge problem. Jesus had compassion for lost people. Um, in Matthew 23, as he's going down into Jerusalem to be crucified. And remember, he knew what was going to happen. Again, he told the disciples. He knew. He wasn't, this wasn't a surprise to him. He didn't have any false hope of how this week was going to end for him. But he's going down into Jerusalem to be crucified. He says this. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thee as a hand doth gather her chicks, and ye would not. And he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over because he knows that the sin that's going to end the week with him on a cross is going to do them much greater damage than it did to him. It's going to do them an eternal damage because they don't get right, because they don't come to him. And he feels it. He has compassion. Oh, listen, we need to feel it. You know, Paul felt compassion for the Jews. I don't know if I would have felt compassion for the Jews. They, they were constantly trying to kill Paul. They were, they were constantly trying to, uh, to, to catch him. They were constantly trying to trick him. They were constantly, you know, they, 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 as far as they were concerned, they did kill him, at least on one occasion. <clears throat> but Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 9. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What does he say? He says, I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. Now, let's put that in context. I don't think, you know, that Paul spent all his life crying over the nation of Israel. I think Paul was intelligent. He was articulate. I think it would have been great to be around. You know, I think it may may be a bit intense. Uh, But I think he would have been a great character to be around. I mean, uh, so much knowledge and wisdom uh, all tied in there. But, but you know what? When he sat down and thought about it, he had a heaviness in his heart about his people. They're not saved. They don't know God. They're living according to their religion and doing their own thing, and it doesn't matter. Now, I wonder this morning, do we have any of that heaviness? About Ireland, about Africa, about Asia, but the world we live in, do we, do we have that heaviness or, 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 or is it okay with us? You see, look, we don't like feeling heaviness. We don't like feeling pain. We don't like this idea of mourning. But you know, the truth is that we have to cut ourselves off from reality if we're not going to mourn over some things. We have to cut ourselves off. Because the reality is, also when it comes to lost people, it's grim. Think about it. 
they'll never know the joy of salvation. Aren't you, aren't you glad you were able to experience the joy of salvation? Aren't you? I mean, listen, it may be a long time ago for you, but you can remember back to a time when listen, you weren't saved and then you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and listen, it changed. Life changed. You were saved. You were born again. It was different. They've never, they've known, never known the joy of a relationship with God. They've never known what it is to take this word and read something that was sent from heaven for them that day. Never known that joy. They don't understand when you talk to them about it. They don't have any clue what it means to have that relationship with God. <clears throat> They've never known the sure purpose of, of living the Christian life. And not only all of that, but they will face judgment. Is it, is it not awful of us that we don't feel any compassion for them? Is it not awful that, that, that we don't feel compassion, that we don't want to do something for them? Should we not, like Paul, have a heaviness in our hearts? I don't think you should go around crying all the time. I don't think you should go around weeping all the time. But you know what? I think there ought to be times when we get alone with God and our hearts get heavy. And I think we ought to let them. Because it's real. It's true. <clears throat> we also mourn over sin in ourselves. Because it offends God. <clears throat> you know, whenever you get to feeling you're, you're okay, rem remember you're not perfect. You know, dealing with sin in your life is like, is like the layers of an onion. Whenever you deal with one layer, there's something else in there to deal with. You know, you don't hit perfection. Now, hopefully you're not dealing with the same things you were dealing with at the start of your walk. Hope, hopefully you've gotten beyond that point. You know, you get saved from sin and listen... Sin gloriously falls off in many cases and, and you walk away from that and everything's changed, you're different. <clears throat> Hopefully you're not still dealing with those things because that's not the plan. The plan is that you deal with sin more and more. Paul could say this about himself. Right? He could say that, <clears throat> that, that, that he was the, uh, the worst of sinners. Now, that, that, that honestly sounds impossible. I, I've read about Paul. You've read about Paul. I mean, how could he be the worst of sinners? The chief of sinners. Well, when Paul looked into his own heart and saw what was really there, and he was dealing with it on such a level with God that he could feel that way. I don't think it's comparative in the sense that, you know, uh, if we compared Paul's sins to somebody else, uh, we'd say, oh, man, he's definitely the worst. But I think for Paul, what happened was when he looked at himself, he could see things that needed to change, things that he wanted God to deal with. And you know, as much as we hate that feeling of, oh, no, when used rightly, that feeling spurs us to actually go to God for the change we need. And when we get satisfied and we kind of plateau, and most Christians plateau, some plateau pretty low, some plateau a little bit higher, some plateau higher, most Christians plateau, we, we come to the place where it's enough. I'm good enough. God's not happy, he's not happy, I'm good enough. And, and we, want it, we, we want it to be easy. But the reality is that our Christianity is a thing that ought to drive us closer and closer to him. And part of that's going to be looking at ourselves and mourning over our sin. Not just everybody else's sin, that'll make you proud. But mourning over your sin. <clears throat> um, in, in, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says this about himself. He says, O wretched man, that I am. Who shall deliver me? And by the way, that's not an unsaved Paul. That's, that's a saved Paul saying that. Who shall deliver me from this sin? 
And he says, I thank my God through Christ Jesus. He can see himself. He can see his need. But he understands Jesus is the answer. And Jesus does the business in his life. And that's what it drives us to. But you know what? Oftentimes we won't let ourselves be wretched about it. So we can't get the victory in it. We kind of, you know, we, we draw back from the feeling, the, the bad feeling in, in terms of dealing with sin. Um, when we're really on fire, when we're really walking with God, you know, anything, the slightest thing that comes between us and him is going to draw a cloud. It's, it's going to become an obstacle. It's going to become something between us and him and something that needs to be dealt with. And we need to stay... <clears throat> Active, we need to be seeing that. We need to understand, listen, that's the reality of who we are. And what God is doing is God is doing a deeper and a deeper and a deeper work in you. God is bringing you closer and closer and closer to him. Now, lest I be charged with this being a negative message, let me say this. Here's how it ends. It says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Did you ever go to a funeral and there was maybe somebody who was taken young and there were people at the funeral crying and there was no comfort for them? There was nothing anybody could say or anybody could do because there was no comfort. It's the kind of pain that won't go away. The kind of pain that somebody gets used to ultimately, but you know what? It just won't go away. That's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about mourning over sin, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about a pain that gets comfort. You know, when you let yourself mourn over sin because it grieves God, you begin to understand what sin is. And it'll drive you from sin better than any resolution you've ever made will. You see, you can decide you're not going to sin. But that doesn't stop it. Because it's in you. But when you come to the place where you see sin as God sees it, that'll drive you from sin. That'll push you from it. That'll push you, push you in a place where you, don't, where, where you don't want it in your own life. When you look at the world as it really is, it's not just a place full of baubles and toys that are lots of fun. It's something that is cursed. Something that is in desperate need of a redeemer, of a deliverer. And that's the real picture. You know, the false picture is it's all fun, it's all wonderful out there. If you could only get enough of it, you'd be happy. Anybody here who's tried it knows it doesn't make you happy. Anybody here who's been in it knows this, and that's not, that's, that's not what does. No, when you look at it, you get a real picture of what the world is. And you know, the, the truth is, that the more you see of the world as God sees it, the less you're drawn to it and the more you're drawn to him. And here's the good side of that for you. You know sin is the problem in your life? All the damage that we do ourselves, we do ourselves through sin. That, 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 that's how we hurt ourselves. <clears throat> now sin is primarily against God, but when, when what we do is <clears throat> we do ourselves damage, we do it through sin. Sin is the issue, sin is the problem, sin is the difficulty. And anything that drives me away from sin and closer to him, listen, that's a help to me. If you're going to mourn over sin in the world, you're going to get help there. And the third thing it does is it makes you get real about yourself. The hardest thing to keep in the world is a lie, a pretense. Now, everybody does it at some level. 
But a pretense is a hard thing to keep up. You know, <clears throat> well, I'm good. I want everybody to think I'm good. Because, you know, I don't want people to look down on me and I want people to think I'm nice and think I'm good because if, if they didn't think I was nice and good, they wouldn't want to be around me and I couldn't stand that. So I'm going to paint this picture of myself that I'm nice and that I'm good. And then the problem is you've got to try and live up to it. And then, you know what happens? You start believing it. The worst lies of all are the lies we tell about ourselves that we end up believing ourselves because they get pretty deeply ingrained. And what happens for us is we become unreal people. We become deluded people. We've got a false opinion of ourselves. And we'll go to the death to defend the false opinion of ourselves. And anybody who disagrees with our false opinion of ourselves is wrong. And they get kicked to the curb. They can't be in our lives because we've got this false opinion of ourselves. You know, when you face yourself and face your sin, you get a, a real opinion of yourself. You get to see yourself as God sees you. You get to know yourself as God knows you. But you know what? He loves you. In spite of all of it, he loves you. And what you get is you get ministered the comfort that you need because you faced it. When you don't face the sin, when you don't deal with the sin, there's no comfort. There's no comfort in hiding for your lifetime. There's no comfort in running from it. There's no comfort in you trying to pretend you're good when you're not. There's no comfort in you painting a picture of yourself that you hope everybody believes. There's no comfort in delusion. There's no grace that can help you in your delusion. Do you know that? But when you get honest with God and honest with yourself and honest with others, there's help. There's grace. There's blessing in your life when you'll do those things. <laughs> but our, our society in our day and age <clears throat> would teach us, no, 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 don't face it. Just pretend. Just play make-believe. No, face it and mourn over it. Because there's comfort. There's comfort. <clears throat> William Carey had this written on his tomb. After spending 40 years on the mission field translating the Bible into six different languages and portions of it into 29 more, he left these instructions right on my tomb. William Carey, born August the 17th, 1761, died June the 9th, 1834. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. You know what? He had comfort. Wasn't making any pretense about himself. He wasn't pretending to be something he wasn't. He knew what he was. But you know what? When he knew what he was, he could actually realize, on thy kind arms I fall. See, our relationship with God is based upon mercy. But you know who mercy applies to? Mercy applies to Guilty people. Listen, <clears throat> if I get, a, get a, a, a parking ticket and, and I go to the judge and I say to the judge, I wasn't there, my car wasn't there, I don't know what happened, but you know what, listen, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I shouldn't have gotten this parking ticket and, and, and here's a photograph of my car where it was that, so I shouldn't have gotten this ticket. And I said, can I have mercy? Well, I don't need mercy there. I need justice because I wasn't there. <clears throat> okay, but if I go and I, my car was in the wrong place and I was doing something and I go to the judge and I ask for mercy, well, I'm saying, listen, I deserve it. But would you give me mercy anyway? Now, here's what happens when we come to God. 
You know, <clears throat> by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, the gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. It's mercy. It's always mercy. And our relationship with God never changed from one of mercy. We, <clears throat> we never get beyond that. And if we won't face ourselves, we can't have mercy. I need mercy. You need mercy. I need it every day. Every day of my relationship with God, I need mercy. What humbles me in my life is his love for a wretch like me. I'm not humbled by the fact that I'm so wonderful. I'm humbled by the fact that he would love a wretch like me. And that's what ministers comfort and grace and blessing in our lives. See, <clears throat> it's an oxymoron. It's a truth standing on its head looking for attention. God says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We say, let's leave that one out and let's just be happy. And I won't go on about the song that's in the charts at the moment. Right? <clears throat> Where it says happiness is the truth. That's a lie. Right? <clears throat> okay? um, <clears throat> but we look at our lives and we don't want to mourn over anything. And God says, if you want real happiness, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest about sin that grieves God. You've got to be honest about the effect of sin on the world out there. You've got to be honest about yourself, where you're at. And then you can be comforted. And then you can be happy. Now, you've got a tough choice to make. You can say, oh, man, that was, that was a load of rubbish. I don't, want, I, I, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. I wish I could hear something happy. I need, I need to hear something happy to make me feel good. Or you can say, no, that's the truth. Lord, help me. And you know what happens? You're in the way of mercy. You're in the way of comfort. And you're in the way of blessedness. It's up to you. It's up to you. What are you going to do with God's word? Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who turned everything upside down for the people of his day and is still doing it today. Now, Lord, would you speak to hearts this morning. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you do your work in hearts and lives? Lord, would you deal with us? Lord, would you help us to see sin as you see it? Would you help us to see the world as you see it? And, oh, Lord, would you help us to see ourselves as you see it? And, Lord, would you bless that there might be changes and there might be lives that turn around, Lord, because we see you. Right, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the piano's going to play in a moment, and as God is dealing with you, you respond to him. Now, maybe you need to just kneel where you are and respond to him. Maybe you need to come forward. Whatever between you and him you need to do. But listen, respond to God. Don't hear it. Close it down and walk away. Don't hear it. Put it on the back burner and forget about it. Respond to God now. Say, yes, Lord. Lord, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know how I need to be helped, but Lord, would you help me? Just respond to God.